Hey y'all, this is Jake. Before we begin this week's episode of Sanctimonious, I wanted to let you know that I've had one of those weeks of grad school where everything comes to a head all at once. This is why you won't hear me on this week's episode. I usually spend three to four hours editing this podcast every week, but my schedule simply didn't allow for it this time. Nevertheless, I wanted to put out this podcast on our regular schedule because Dan and Alex absolutely brought it with some great banter about the perceived most skill-testing cards in Worlds Collide. So I hope you bear with us through a few more ums and pauses than normal, and enjoy this week's episode of Sanctimonious. Okay, Horns section, take it away. Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake Sir Alex. and Sir Dan. And welcome to another episode of Sanctimonious. This is your lead host for this episode, Dan. And with me today, I have Alex. Say hello, Alex. Hello, Alex. Yes. Keeping the streak alive. How are you doing today? Always. I'm doing great. Great. How are you doing? I am fantastic. The sun is shining. I've played disc golf like four out of the last five days. Life is good. It is not. It is not warm here. It's not disc golf uh, (laughs) weather just yet. Uh, It's been like low 50s and sunny. So nice. All right. So yeah, outdoor achievements aside. Um, few inter- or a few introductions, ha, ha, a few announcements before we get started here. Uh, the Season 3 Tournament Single Elimination League, not Single Elimination League, the league is in the Single Elimination Brackets. I pinged a bunch of people the other day on the Discord to play their matches, so if you think you might have made the Single Elimination Bracket, please check in again. Um, I did ping everybody, I think everybody, I think that got everything moving, and hopefully we'll get that wrapped up, and with that wrapping up, um signups are open for season four league and this league yeah so this league is actually going to be um i pretty much stole this from lady aurora so thank you lady aurora Uh, she mentioned that adaptive should really be you play the other person's deck first and then you play your own deck in the second game and i was like yeah that'd be real cool because then your opponent doesn't really get a read on how they're supposed to play the deck by watching you play it and it's just purely, can you read what your opponent's deck is doing very well that first game? So yeah, so that's what we're going to run the fourth season league. Um, a little firestorm kicked up. Justice Blinded also posted that he thought that would be the preferred method for adaptive and created a little Facebook firestorm. So yeah, we drama are ensued. <laughs> yeah, I didn't read the full thread. I was just like, oh, cool. Yeah, we're going to do this for the league. And then I kind of read some of the comments around my comment and I was like, whoa this is this is something but Turns yeah, out people feel strongly never, never read the comments no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no so we're gonna be running that league signups are open head into the discord i'm only putting the signups in the discord because we set up the matches on discord so you have to be a part of our discord that is the only requirement to play in the league and um, i'm probably gonna leave that open through the end of february here to allow the other league to kind of wrap up and just give everybody a good, healthy chunk of time to get signed up. That's, uh, it's here. I mean, it's eight days from now, but when this goes up, it'll probably be next week. So you'll still have a few more days till the end of February. I've posted 
I'll post on some of the other social medias as well here probably later today, just so everybody has ample time to get in on the league. But yeah, so we've got that and that. I don't know. Is there anything else we needed to announce, Alex? I don't think so. I think uh, League Oh, coming, here's uh, the last one. Thank oh. you, everybody, for, that voted um, for a future episode. Oh, yeah. All three of us are going to be playing a deck. We each selected a deck. Um, Alex took Coda and put up Turby, um, which is a really crazy time traveler disruption deck. Um, I took AOA and put up Zia, the Disc Spy, which is a Jenka deck with some double Ronnie action because that's how I roll. And Jake put up the Bronco something, the Bronco, Bronco. Who agitates Cobras. <laughs> agitates co- Nervously, isn't it? Nervously agitates. I love yeah. the name. It's a great, it's a great name. name. Great name. But uh, the voting is in. It was pretty close between Zia and Bronco. So sorry, Coda. I guess people are just done with you now. People, but, uh, people don't yeah. want to play. Didn't want us to play Turby. <laughs> I was gunning. I was gunning for it. I was pulling for it. I actually in the Twitter poll, so I yeah, I, I voted for Turby. I wanted to play it. I've lost to that deck enough that I wanted to be the one making other people lose to it. Um, but yeah, uh, so Zia the Disc Spy, Zia Disc Spy will be the deck that all three of us will be jamming some games with. And here in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably record an episode and just kind of let you know. Um, how our experiences were with it. I've already got, I think, I've got about 50 games played with it, but I haven't played much in the World's Collide meta, so I'm anxious to get it out there and see how it does with uh, kind of the new meta in the World's Collide. But yeah. It's a, di- it's a different day. So thank you to those that voted. If that episode goes well, maybe we'll do it again, or maybe we'll do Bronco since it came in second. But yeah, we'll just see how it goes. But thank you to those that voted on Twitter and on the Discord. It was pretty fun. And yeah, I flexed so hard. (laughs) All right. Uh, Inspiration. How have you been inspired, Alex? Uh, I think recently I have been... uh, so my, I think uh, here's what I'll talk about. My my most recent deck acquisition, um, I was just a deck I popped open was a three times information officer gray deck, um, which has which has a shadows house that is pretty pretty terrible, but it has a really good dis and a really good star alliance, and so I've been intrigued by this idea of is a deck viable that you basically just want to get rid of one of the houses. Um, Cause that's what I, as I've played it thus far, what I've been trying to do is just archive away basically the shadows because it's just not good. Um, but everything else is pretty fine. And so far it's been, uh, it's just been fun whether it's successful or not. It is a interesting, it's an interesting idea to me um, about can a deck is a deck good enough to be competitive um, if one of the houses is pretty mediocre? I think honestly the answer is no, but it's still fun to explore it. And that's kind of been, that's the thing that's been uh, giving me the juice to play Keyforge lately of just exploring some, exploring some theories. Nice. Yeah. One of my best words, Clyde decks actually has shadows. It has three times Hawk, which is actually really nice. But yeah, pretty much every single game I play with that thing, I have at least eight or ten of the uh, Shadows cards archived, <laughs> thanks to um, Memory Chip and Hide and Vellum, 
like just drawing through or it's also got a helms and spear so i can just chuck them all i've done that too where i've grabbed all of my shadows cards out of archives just to helmsman spears them all away <laughs> oh man that'd be see i wish i could do that i wish i had a helmsman i just i i literally the other day i did hit a record for me which was 18 cards in archive with this deck because i just <laughs> i like went star alliance like six turns and the guy just could not remove all three information officer graves so i just like had like half my more than half my deck archived and i was like this is fun whether it's good or not this was still a fun moment <laughs> yeah i wish man if i had data forge and and Mania Scourge, that deck would just be nuts. It's oh, yeah. still really, really good. Yeah, it's a good but deck. Yeah, I, I, I typically have like 8 to 10 cards in Archives with that deck, and it just cycles through so fast. Yeah, okay. Um, my inspiration. I don't know. I've been inspired by the... It's, it's kind of funny. Like A lot of people seem to really be pushing for AOA again. Like We kind of gave up on AOA kind of towards... I, I, a lot of people kind of gave up on AOA. But it seems like a lot of people, like a lot of people in the voting, are like, "Well, I really like the look of Bronco, but man, I just like a good AOA deck." And we had a couple of people comment that, and I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, people do kind of have a soft spot for AOA, and it's it's kind of getting a chance to shine now with the uh, the New Worlds Collide meta again, like slowing things down and making essentially Code of Steel less efficient." Everybody loves to root for the underdog, Dan. You know. <gasps> Oh, I love it. I get to play my deck more. You guys have to play my deck more. And we get to talk about my deck. Like, I win. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. That's, that's announcements. That's inspiration. Now, main topic... The main topic of today's program... We're going to be talking about skill testing cards from the Worlds Collide set. Um, Worlds Collide has had a chance now to be out for a while and to kind of get room to breathe. People have gotten to play with the cards with and against them. And so we kind of did a quick a quick poll in our Discord to just see what people thought are the most skill testing cards. And we made a list. And now we're going to go through that list and talk about a few of them and how you can prove yourself to be skillful enough to play them alex you choose first what card do you want to talk about or what let's, group of cards let's talk about uh i think i think a great place to start is key cost increasers i think that's a really um there's a lot of mutual key cost increasers in uh worlds collide and so i think that's bringing to the surface a uh, a new type of math that you're kind of having to do. So this is cards like Vineapple Tree, uh, which is the untamed artifact uh, that you action use it and you can put a growth counter on it. And it, for every growth counter on Vineapple Tree, uh, keys cost plus one. Um, there's Mystic Mermuk, who oh, is... Uh, you know, just a second, to finish out that card, the f first time somebody oh, yeah. that whatever that increased cost is, all the Thank growth you. counters go away. Yeah. All right, proceed. Yeah, and then we have uh, Mystic Mermuk, which is play, deal four damage, keys cost plus so one. God, that card is so good. I Mystic Mermuk so is the redeeming, one of the redeeming uh, cards for World's Glide Untamed, certainly. Oh, you have Regrowth and you have Nature's Call, both in Untamed, so you can just ping things for, like, pinging for four. Four, four is, is really good. so big. Yeah. So big. All those little Star Alliance dudes are just like, ow, I'm gone. <laughs> 
Yeah, you can kill a lot of things with four, especially like even if you can, you know, somehow recur them like hysteriaing Mystic Mermooks feels just fine. Um, oh, hysteria. Re- I mean, just in, in its house alone, you've got regrowth, regrowth and nature's call. Like, yeah, yeah what else? What else do you need? Yeah. <laughs> exhuming. Uh, like, I've yeah. Oh, exhuming. Mystic yeah. Mystic Mermook is a fantastic card. It's it's so good. You you very rarely care that it's mutual um, just because yeah. you get to to re uh hit uh you know you get to hit them again with the with the ability uh, the playability um the other one i was going to mention was uh universal key lock uh which yes. uh makes uh keys cost plus three and it's the same as mine apple when somebody forge except uh with universal key lock when somebody forges um with the at the plus three cost universal key lock is destroyed um and yep. gets uh completely no, one of my very first target pre-release decks uh, was very reliant on getting Universal Keylock early because it was a deck that needed some time to build up a momentum. And if you got Universal Keylock where you could slow them down and make it make them take longer to get their first and second key, you could usually grab hold of control of the game then and then close it out with an Obsidian Forge. Um, yeah, Universal Keylock is a super interesting one. It really depends on the deck. Like the deck I had, like I said, if I got it early, it felt really good about my chances of winning. And if I didn't get it till late, then it was uh oh time. Yeah, I think slow decks really like Universal Keylock. And uh, you're usually, because you're usually a deck that likes Universal Keylock is one that's just saying, like, hey, I just need a little bit of time to kind of get things, like you said, like get things set up. And if I can have that time, I'm going to do something really strong. Um, and so Universal Keylock can give you that breathing room. Um, and it also, I mean, it puts your opponent in a re- really awkward situation of like, how hard do I play into this? Do I, you know, do I fight to not break the Universal Keylock? Do I try to forge into it and just force it to be gone? Um, so, uh, and I, I think that that's, so the reason we grouped these all is because they basically all ask the same question of, can can you make more use of the the mutual key cost increase than I can? Um, a lot of times with Vineapple and Mustic and Universal, you're playing them at. I mean, the the skill testing part is playing them t- at a time that is beneficial for you and not mm-hmm. beneficial for your opponent. Um, so I'm usually playing Universal Keylock or I'm adding a growth counter to Vineapple when it's going to force my opponent to pay the tax. Um, and I'm maybe not close to forging or it's like I have to stall my even if I have to stall myself a turn, um, maybe it's worth it to make them pay this tax. Uh, no, my favorite times of playing it is like if they're at seven, you play it out there and then they you put yourself at six amber. And so they, <laughs> they go to us here now. It doesn't work that way. I know I've gotten it where like they forge for the nine and then pass the turn back over and I get a forge for six immediately thereafter. And it just feels so good when you get that set up where it's just like they have to do it because they have to forge for nine and then you're in check. And so you get a forge. Yeah, no, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Feels real good. Feels real good when they forge for nine and you forge for oh, six yeah. right after them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's essentially like you just made them lose three amber, which is always a, a good feeling. Yeah, and I, I think I think like thinking about it, it's just like there are times where you even do it knowing knowing it's going to stall you. And that's what's skill to I think that's what's challenging about these cards 
is knowing there is there is a time where you just discard them Mm -hmm. um but you have to be able to really feel out like how much amber control does my opponent have are they going to take me off check um anyways does it does it put them behind the eight ball to have to think about because like i think the hardest time about universal key lock is like so you're opening let's say your opening hand has universal key lock in it and you're both at like zero amber do you play universal key lock i mean with my one deck yes yes i do (laughs) it needs it it needs that game to slow down for that first part so i definitely play it yeah, and that's like yeah. a big I'm it's a big picture thing to know about like ultimately does my deck well, want to play and slow. Then, and the other thing you got to ask yourself too is what does your opponent's deck have? Does your is your opponent have like double too much to protect or something where if you play that and you have to go to 9, are you just never forging? Yeah. Like in that case you're probably getting rid of it or is your deck the one with double too much to protect? You somehow pulled like the lottery winning worlds collide deck with an actual shadows house. Um, <laughs> you got your Ronnie's and all that kind of stuff with it that are just going to punish your opponent or you've even got, you know, um, universal key lock and uh, uh, cutthroat research are like best friends. Like, Oh my goodness. feels so good. <laughs> yeah. Force them go way over then hit them with cutthroat research. Yep. That or graft interdimensional graph feels real good. Oh no, it doesn't. Never mind. Scratch that one. Graft is bad, unless you like, like Poltergeist did your own Universal Key Lock, so that they yeah. had to go way up. Yeah, and then you steal unless all they, that amber. They go like way, way over. <laughs> all right, really quick aside. My favorite, gra- like my favorite thing to put into archives with Edai is interdimensional graft. Feels so good. Oh, you got rid of my Edai when you're at ten amber. All right, you can forge for six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. All right. Yeah, so I think that's those three. Um, two artifacts, one key cost increaser, one creature. Um, yeah, I kind of remember when we did the uh, AOA Kodo ones. There was a lot of actions and artifacts, and that kind of stayed the same here, but we actually had a couple of uh, creatures make the list. So I'm going to take the next one. I'm going to say Spartosaurus. Uh, Saurian creature. Um, six power, one armor, dinosaur soldier. After a friendly creature is destroyed, destroy each non-dinosaur creature. Fight, gain two amber. This guy is a lot of whoops moments about to happen. <laughs> um, God, he's so skill testing. I know, like, the first release event, I opened a Spartasaur deck. I played a Spartasaur deck. And I unfortunately played him out with like, I had like a small, yeah, like a small shadows creature or something. And my board was pretty big and I didn't have that many dinos out. So my opponent was just like, yep, I'll smash your your little dude there. And like, they had like one or two creatures. I was definitely ahead on board. And all of a sudden my board exploded. And I was like, oh, I really shouldn't have played that guy there. That was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like you can really like, if you don't have a bunch of dinos out like and you have a lot of other creatures out this guy can just be such a liability to your own board but if you do have a lot of dinos out man then your opponent has this really awkward situation where they can't get rid of your creatures otherwise they're going to nuke their own board so it's just really really figuring out when is the right time that it's more advantageous to you or that you can 
give up that board, like those non-dino creatures that you have out um, in exchange for just having a big old beefy dude that's going to fight and actually gain Amber. Like, this, <laughs> how is this guy not Brobnar? That's what I want to know. He Why does feel, he he does feel kind of Brobnar-y. Non-giant creature. Like, he actually has a good fight ability. Uh, Brobnar would love a good fight ability. Yeah. <laughs> he actually... Man, they really did not do any Brobner any favors. No. Um, but, you know, because it's like, did did Saurians need another good card? Uh, Spartasaur is really good. I've played a lot with him recently. And um, I I actually traded uh, you, Dan, for uh, Octoward, uh, which is a... How many creatures does it have? Does it have like... 25. 20, 25? 25. It's like a it's, ton. He's a really interesting card in a deck that has so many creatures. Um, He's actually, I like him a lot though in that deck because it has double Titan Guardian. So you can put your opponent in this weird situation where they're like, yeah, you can wipe my board, but I'm going to draw four cards, um, which feels like a a, four, a fair trade most of the time. I, I find even in a, cre- a deck with like 25 creatures, I'm playing him more often than not. Um, I'm yeah, still feeling that deck are really good. <laughs> yeah, the the Saurian lineup in that deck is phenomenal. Like double Philosophosaurus is just an Orator Hisario. Um, yep. But uh, he he's a really interesting card in that, like like you said, knowing the timing. Like sometimes you have to you have to just discard him, knowing even though it's painful because his ability is so good, but knowing like hey, like they don't have any board wipes left and I really shouldn't give them a way to wipe my board. Yeah, and the other thing you have to watch out too for that hit me a couple of times is there are some Saurian creatures that are not dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Pterodactyl is not a dinosaur. Um, there's a couple of the... One of the Garganta, Gargantodon is not a dinosaur, a right? Yeah, Gargant. I mean, there's there's one of the taunt guys is not. Oh, uh, Brutodon Auxiliary. There you go. Yeah, Gargantodon is a beast. And yeah, Brut, Brutodon Auxiliary. Exactly. Taunt Hazardous Two guy is not a dinosaur. So those are ones that you just have to look out for if they're in your Sargon lineup and you have a Spartosaurus as well. You just have to know that you might lose your taunt dudes if if anything dies while Spartosaurus is out. Because they are not dinos. They're in the dino house, but they're just beasts doing the dino's work. But yeah, that's Spartosaurus. You can, like I said, you can really run into some awkward situations for yourself and your opponent when you drop that guy down. If you're way behind on board and you drop that guy down and can smash, like, say you've got, like, a redder golem from the previous turn and you just run that into something on their side and blow up their board if they don't have Saurians, like, it feels real good. Yeah. One of my favorite one of my favorite moves with Spartasaur is if you have like a like an instant removal like Stomp, you can Spartasaur put play out Spartasaur and then wipe. You know, if you don't have anything on their side that can die, you can wipe your own one of your own dudes to just completely clear everything that's you know non Dino. I've had a lot of people make uh, on TCO, you know, kill one of your creatures. And then, like, you just, like, you can see that, like, the TCO pause where it's, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> and you're just like, like, wait. They're like, why did everything just die? And I'm like, Spartasaur. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. Cool. I think that's enough on Spartasaurus. Call the next card. What do you want? Let's talk We Can All Win. We Can All Win's mm-hmm. really interesting. 
we can all win. So it comes with an Amber Pip. It's an action card. Uh, play. Each player's keys cost minus two until the end of your next turn. Proceed. I don't so have much I'm gonna, experience I'm gonna, with this card at all. I'm going to make an argument on this one. This one's listed in the skill tester. I think maybe, I don't, I'm assuming somebody in the Discord uh, put this mm-hmm. one up. I'm actually going to argue that this is not a skill testing card. Um, we can all win basically has one time, one use. You use it when your opponent is at no, like basically no amber and not going to forge off of it. And you would forge off of it, or it's just an amber gain. There's not really, I would say that there's not really, a, I, I, I'm mentioning this one because I saw it listed and I think it's interesting to talk about. This is a card that seems skill testing, but actually, like when we like you never play this when your opponent would be able to make use off of it. So it's not sure. re- there's no there's no decision point here. It's basically just do I play this or do I not play this based on does my opponent like the only time that you would really have to think about it is if your opponent has a key cheat um, and like by playing we can all win. You would, you know, give them the possibility of key charging for what, like five, yeah. <laughs> which would be bad. Yeah. So uh, don't do that. But other than that, uh, I would say that this is just a pretty much a slam. But I I will say that this card is one that I have underestimated at times, but has been played on me a couple of times. I think I have more experience playing against this card. And a couple of times it puts you in a really awkward situation where suddenly like your opponent's like, oh, I'm in a forge for four right now. Can you take me off that? And I'm like, uh... Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No is Redder no Gollum. is the answer a lot. Seven. Yeah. Ha. Sad Redder Golem. Sad lash of broken dreams just to make it seven. Yeah. Force you into those houses. All right. I'm not going to add a whole lot. Yeah. It kind it kind of seems like effervescent principle a little bit in that kind of decision point. Like, will this help me more than my opponent? All right. I'm picking next. I'm going to go Snag's Mirror. We had a lot of people calling for Snag's Mirror. All right, there we go. Snag's Mirror, Artifact. After a player chooses an active house, their opponent cannot choose the same house as their active house on their next turn. Um, comes with an Amber Pip, Artifact, Dis. Yeah, so we were kind of briefly talking about it in the Discord. <laughs> and the weird thing here is that your opponent actually gets the first choice. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be so much better if it came in and chooses an active house. Like, it just if it was worded so that your turn... Like your opponent couldn't call this the next turn, like it would make it like an infinite amount better. Because your opponent can then, if they're also in house dis, they can lock you out of the game, potentially. <laughs> you can restrain Guntus yourself on accident, which would be awful, but apparently has happened to poor KBZ. Sorry, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it to him, but he said it's happened where his opponent called dis the next turn, and unfortunately, he redrew into a, a dis hand and his opponent realized it and just called this for the rest of the game. But yeah, I guess, I mean, I can see why it's skill testing. Like, do you have the advantage where you can lock them out of a key house? So it really depends on your deck and what houses make up your deck. KBZ had a really nice one. His was Dish Shadow Sarian, which if you're taking it to like a high level event, you're going to see a lot of those houses. You're going to hit a lot of overlap, so it is going to have a chance to do something. But it can also backfire against you. I mean, that's going to be... I think the real skill testing part of this card is whether or not you actually play it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's 
probably true. I, I think that the the yeah, I I would agree with that. The decision point with this card is, um, yes, you have to decide uh what how, like when to try to lock your opponent out if you're able to do that. But I think the big question is, do I even play this most of the time because it's so. It's not, I mean, I would say it's much worse than Speed Sigil um, or even something like uh, uh, Peace Accord um, in that your opponent, if they're going to make use of it, will make so much use of it that you may just like, it may actually cause you to lose the game. Um, There are games where you have to discard Speed Sigil and uh, Peace Accord, but I think it's probably... I think that Snag's Mirror, when it's the the weirdest part about Snag's Mirror is when it would be impactful, is probably the biggest time that you want to discard it. Because it's when you're going to have the most overlap. Yes. Because, I mean, yeah, you're going to need to overlap with your opponents. I mean, yeah, if you have a dis. <laughs> what was my, my example was dis. Gal um, yeah, Snag's Mirror, it's only Worlds Collide, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it'd be like what? Dis, Brobnar, Untamed. Like, you're just probably, like, I don't know. I guess Untamed and Dis, you're probably still hitting. What are three? I mean, it's pretty much Dis, Brobnar. Dis, Brobnar, you're probably not running into a lot of Brobnar decks, so you're just never going to lock anybody out of Brobnar, which may be good for you, too, because then you'll always have an option of a house to play, I guess. (laughs) It just feels feels like uh, this doesn't feel like one... There and I'm not going to say there's no skill involved with this card again, but I would say that there's so much about Snag's Mirror that comes down to variance um, that I'm not sure how like high IQ you can really get. It's like you you have to because there's a lot of ifs, right? Like you're you have to be matched up to an opponent who has matching houses. Then you have to have a hand that's conducive to playing Snag's Mirror, like. I know that I can call because basically you you have to know that I'm not going to get locked out the next turn by my opponent forever, but also I can keep calling the same house to lock them out of it if I need to. Um, And so there, there it's a, it's a weird card. It's a weird card. Snag's mirror is like the one card in Keyforge where you want to have two, two, two hands all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like playing, it's weird because it's like play you like you said this, but it's like playing against Control the Weak or Ristranguntus, but you did it to yourself, which feels bad. Yeah, and like if your opponent plays this against you, like God, man, it would feel so good because you're the first one that gets to decide what they're going to play next. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I can see like with with the deck with KBZ's deck, like Shadows, Sorry, and Dis. Like you can do some work against some of the like kind of heavy meta decks. It's like Kodo with Shadows is just rampant all over the place. If you can lock him out of Shadows on the turn you want to forge, like that's really nice. If you can lock him out of Dinos on the turn you want to forge, or if they just haven't played many Dinos, you can just lock him out of Dinos for the rest of the game. Like that's it's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean when you can make use of it, it can be very. I mean it can be very. Uh damaging but it's just i just don't know i just don't know about this one i i agree that it is skill testing and but i i don't what i always ask with with like a skill testing card is am i are you able to reasonably predict what this card is gonna do and with snags mayor it's just like super all over the place (laughs) i mean yeah like 
there is a chance you could go against somebody that doesn't have the same three houses and it's literally an amber pip yeah but it's i guess it's still an amber pip and it thins the deck so there's yeah. something for it yeah all right it's probably uh let's see no no i'm good uh, i'm probably uh, i've <laughs> talked about that one enough uh let's okay we could just talk about this general category uh of well, okay. I, actually, sorry. I'm going to change gears because we've talked a little bit about Spartasaur, and I would say that honestly, um, some of these other, like all of the board clears, kind of fall into the same sort of decision points as Spartasaur, probably. Um, but uh, I, I, I think an interesting one is uh, Book of. I've recently learned Book of Leq. I have, guys. This threw me for a loop. I really thought that this was Book of Ieq for the entire time, and then somebody pointed out on uh, on my blog that it's Book of Leq. Man, yeah, it was like a lowercase L or whatever. Yeah, like <laughs> that L. that 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 blew my mind. Uh, I I did not realize that that was an L. Uh, so that's the first skill testing part of Book of Leq. <laughs> Actual name? Can you <laughs> name it correctly? Uh, second, so Book of Leq is really interesting, um, and I've heard opinions on this card that are all over the place like right. from really quick i'm gonna pause you for a second. oh yeah yeah so please please, please read the card artifact action uh reveal the top card of your deck if it is a non-star alliance card its house becomes your active house otherwise end your turn so essentially you can play all your star alliance cards tap this reveal the top card um, reveals so it stays on the top of your deck so that's kind of nice free information for you and for your opponent but Still kind of nice either way. As long as it's not a Star Alliance card, whatever house you turned up, so if you turned up Logos, now you can use your Logos cards on board. You can use the Logos cards out of your hand. Like, it's a happy day. If it is a Star Alliance card, your turn is over. You do not ready cards. You do not draw cards. You're just done. It is a risk. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Book of LEQ uh, such a skill testing card. Uh, it is... What like oh what I would say uh, so what what I'll start with is the opinions on this card are all over the place. Some people think it's the most broken card that exists, um, and then some people are like this card's terrible because half the time you just like tap all your stuff and you know you don't like it. None of it doesn't unexhaust at the end of the turn. So I think, but I, that is to me what's points this out like hey you know it's the red flag of this is a skill tester is like the varying opinions on it because when when you can uh make the calculated gamble with book of leq uh navigator ali yeah oh yeah if you have i mean if you have navigator ali or lay of the land it's a slam dunk because you can you can ensure that you're going in you're going to hit the right thing, but you're gonna I mean, also you actually have, in yeah, your hand. yeah, yeah. You can play <laughs> or on board. Oh my goodness. But I think a lot of times the skill testing part, what's interesting about book of LEQ is you can choose to play it when a, you know, you have a high probability of hitting something that's not star Alliance, but you can also play it at a time where if you do hit star Alliance, it's not detrimental to you. So if you think about it this way, a lot of times if you don't get to draw cards, let's say you play three Star Alliance cards and you maybe reap with two things and then you tap Book of LEQ and you hit Star Alliance. You have three cards. Like if I if I know that the next turn, I'm going to be able to take a turn regardless that I can't use Star Alliance. Um, 
I'm probably fine, right? Like the risk, there's a risk there, but it's like, if it's not, if it's middle of the game and not going Star Alliance isn't that big a deal for me, then I'm really, I don't care about that. And that's the skill testing part is being able to find that decision point of how much is it going to hurt me to not go Star Alliance this next turn? Or am I like, I made a mistake. Uh, I remember a memorable game for Book of LAQ with me was I lost a game because I didn't do this this evaluation correctly. And I I tapped my sensor chief Garcia. And basically, if I had just not tapped Book of LAQ, there was no reason, there was no huge advantage to me hitting Book of LAQ. And there was a huge downside to me. And I just didn't process that decision point correctly. And so I think ever after that, I've thought about it a lot of like the decision point with Book of LEQ is how much advantage, like is the, do I need to take the risk? And if I, if I miss, am I going to lose the game? Yeah. Uh, if your opponent has Snecklifter, don't play it. Um. That too. <laughs> <laughs> Like one of the very first games of Worlds Collide I played against, I think I'm pretty sure it was Sky Jedi, and he had this cool book of LAQ deck, and he dropped it. I snack lifted it. He dropped like a Lash of Broken Dreams. I snack lifted it. Like, <laughs> oh, Hit and Run is a fun card with Snack Lifter. Um, yeah, because, yeah, Book of LAQ has zero downside if your deck has zero Star Alliance. It's all upside as oh, long yeah. as you're calling shadows. So that's a really fun fun interaction for your opponent not so much for yourself if you're playing book of leq um but yeah i don't i mean i don't really have a whole lot to add but yeah that's that and just you know kind of being able to track where you're at in your deck yourself i mean on tco it's super easy you click your deck and count how many cards of each house you have but in real life if you're playing this just kind of being able to evaluate your hand discard and just kind of know what your chances are too if it's going to be something pivotal and like the only other thing you have to think about too is you're not going to draw cards at the end of your turn. So if you're looking for an answer to something and you're thinking about tapping Book of LEQ to maybe like you could allow you to dig deeper if you hit a separate house or it also yeah. could completely hinder it. So it depends on so, how fast you're trying to dig. I just I, and I do want to say the interesting thing about that math, though, is so if I have three cards, so if I play I've played out three cards of Star Alliance. And I have, let's say I have three discards are my remaining cards and I tap book of LEQ hit star Alliance. And the next turn I can still go dis. I still end up drawing the same, like, even though it's delayed, I still end up drawing the same amount. Like I end up drawing a larger hand, which might actually be better for me. Like it might be better to draw six cards all at once versus three cards, um, now it's kind of the, the it doesn't always work that way but a lot of times the downside is not that big is what i'll say all right um my turn next i'm gonna go with my boy quixel quixel stone another artifact comes with an amber pip from the star alliance the grand star alliance a player has more creatures in play than their opponent they cannot play creatures yeah this this card just single-handedly like changes the game you're playing yeah <laughs> It becomes a really, really interesting game. I have two different Quixel Stone decks that I've, I, mean, I think I've pumped about 10 games into each of them, and like they each play pretty differently from each other. One of them actually has a lot of Amber Pips, so you just hopefully land Quixel Stone early and just cycle a whole bunch of action cards as fast as possible. Um, and the other one's a little more creature, 
creature based and you can set up some weird cloaking dongle light of the archons kind of voltrons that are hard to break through and just call star alliance over and over and over again but yeah this this card when you're if you play it or your opponent plays it all of a sudden you have to kind of reevaluate each one of your turns because <laughs> you just have to figure out like can i play this creature if i play this creature will this creature give me enough value that it's worth my opponent being able to play two more creatures because if you're at one creature that and your opponent's at zero creatures that means they get to play two creatures they get to go one over you yeah uh, if you have things like flaxia like this this card is awesome because your flaxia is always gonna hit <laughs> as long as you're tied with them like they can't go like super far above you um this card partners well with things like unnatural selection or i've even got the always amazing quixelstone general order 24 deck it can be super fun to really uh keep the board clear but yeah, it just it changes the way you have to play that game once this card comes into play. Like you end up discarding a lot of creatures because you're like, well, I can play this creature, but like the impact this creature has is not worth allowing my opponent to play two additional creatures. Yeah, or to limit myself from playing my more impactful creatures in a later turn. Yeah, for sure. Quicksilver is interesting. Um, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen many Quicksilver decks that I would consider highly competitive. Because World's Collide tends to be so uh, creature-heavy that Quixelstone often becomes as much of a detriment to you as it does to your opponent. And I mean, most... So, I mean, the decision point with and the, the skill-testing part of Quixelstone is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, do I... Is it worth playing this Igor? Igor's normally a, a creature that you play always, right? But Quixelstone's out. It's like, he's just a two-strength guy that draws me a card most of the time that a lot of times that card would be one I'm going to draw anyways, if I just discard him. So it's like, is it worth, is there something that I need right now that I have to draw or can I wait a turn? Um, sorry. I would find that Saurians, Saurians and Star Alliance really love Quixelstone the most because yeah. they have really <laughs> sticky creatures. Um, yep. So I don't know. It's an, yeah. it's an interesting one, but yeah, it's just that, that, that whole you know, decision tree of how much is this creature worth to me right now? <laughs> yeah, it's fun. My creature based one actually also has Scowly Caper in it, so you can actually give your oh, opponent a creature. That's really with, good. That's I love general that. order twenty four. Like Th you, that's you amazing synergy. Play, yeah, right. You don't want to play Sneck or the not Snecklifter, uh Scowly Caper and General Order twenty four at the same time. Because otherwise you give them a free way to get rid of it. But yeah, like <laughs> you give them a Scowly Caper and like that's counting as one of their creatures on board. It's it's a pretty feel, feels bad moment for them. All right, that's all I got on Quixel. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's pretty much the whole, whole the whole thing on that one. Uh let's see. Uh let's talk about this is a good one. Let's talk about Infernus. Um and this could probably be my my last one, I think. Yeah, um that's I'm just going to give you one more and I'll do one more. Okay. Um I think Infernus is a really interesting card. Um, it's one of those cards when I initially saw it, I was like, getting ahead of yourself again. Infernus. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Infernus. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Infernus is this creature. Uh, when you play him, you can purge two cards from one discard pile. Uh, one. Yours or the opponent's. Not yours or the opponent's. Uh, if the card that you purged has an amber pip, uh, the opponent loses an amber pip uh, for how to 
what is the phrasing of this? I want to make sure yeah, I'm butchering it. Two cards from a discard pile. Your yep. opponent loses amber equal to the total amber bonus of the purged cards. So if you purge two dust pixies, your opponent just lost four amber. Yes. It's four power, no armor, demon. So Infernus is a card when I first saw it, I was like, this is extremely busted. And I think it still is. Um, but I, I, I actually find that this card is very nuanced um, the more that I play with it. Um, because so often sad is gone. Yeah, I did. I did sell. I had a four times Infernus deck that I sold. Um, and and I really liked that deck. It was super fun. Um, it was hard. It was a hard. It was actually a good adaptive deck because it's really. It was a very difficult deck because you have so many decision points with mm-hmm. Infernus. Uh, especially the choice often I find with Infernus is a lot of times it's appropriate to not worry about them losing amber with it and i think that's mm-hmm. the skill testing part is if you just try to make maximize them losing amber a lot of times you're missing the top tier play of what infernus can do infernus is a card that lets you craft your own deck sometimes and a lot of times gets rid of your opponent's best cards or most damaging um especially if you know that you're playing this is a slow matchup where you're probably going to go through at least one shuffle then you know that i need to really take care of the things that are the the, my opponent in my opponent's deck that are the best tools rather than worrying about how do i maximize amber loss um and that's that's a that's a really cool part about the card is its flexibility but that creates a lot of decision points yep no, definitely one of my first, again, one of my target pre-release decks, the same box that had Mania Scourge, also had Drabfoot, which I played a lot to to start, and it only had one Infernus, but it had Hysteria, Hit and Run, um, Code Monkey, it just had so many ways I could just keep bouncing Infernus, so like most games I'd play Infernus like three to five times, and just, yeah, figuring out if I hit myself or my opponent was always the first decision point like do i have two cards am i about to reshuffle do i not want to hit thorium plasmate again like thorium plasmate's a fine card but sometimes you just don't want to see it after the reshuffle because now you're not so much worried usually with that deck by the time you're shuffling like the deck's kind of in like the two to three key range and so thorium plasmates are just kind of like blah cards like you don't really care about creatures on board as much you want more of the amber control cards to try to close things out so like purging those is always nice because you get that amber um, just getting the, getting rid of things like Choda and Key Charge like feels so good. If if your opponent can't recur those key cheats, so they can't win without you getting a response, feels really really good. Um, just, yeah, any other key cheats they might have in the deck. If you're going up against like a Battlefleet Key Abduction deck, like getting rid of the Battlefleet, getting rid of the Key Abduction, you know, just things like that. Or if you can find the linchpin linchpin cards of a deck, um, Time Travelers are fun to eat either half of the time traveler that or the help from future self just so they can't recur it as much there's just so many options like those seem fairly obvious but there's other matchups where like if your opponent's just nearing the end of their deck you have to kind of think to yourself like hey based on what my deck's trying to do here what are the cards that would really wreck me if they redraw into those when they reshuffle and it might it's probably not the pip cards yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of times you're like, it, 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 you have to pay it with Infernus, you have to be paying attention to when your opponent's about to flip their deck because you might have to take a disturn sooner than you want so that Infernus does something. Yep, I mean, like I said, well, you can always hit your own too and just thin it from cards that you just do not want to reshuffle into. 
Yeah. <laughs> my drab foot deck again, it had shadows. Like both of those, both of my target pre-release decks had shadows and the shadows were just so bad in both decks that I ended up either archiving or purging like all the shadows from both of those decks. Yeah. <laughs> they can't hurt you if you can't play them. <laughs> sometimes it was really with blitz. Sometimes it was really easy because you had compost Harspex, the guy that lets you uh, do play effects as reap effects. It had Morpheus. So if I, if I get to do it like, 10 times it becomes a lot easier versus no alex was uh kind enough to allow me to load that on my tco profile and have some fun with it and yeah the deck was nuts so much infernus action all right last card for this cast yeah we're perfect all right uh i am going to select harbinger of doom we're gonna stay in the dis house dis is seeing a lot of play Harbinger of Doom, I think, is a very skill-testing card um, on both sides of it. I think maybe actually I'm leaning more towards playing against a Harbinger of Doom. So, like, if you're playing with it, like, it's a two-power, three... All right, let me get it. Let me pull it up here. It's two-power, three armor. Um, destroy, destroy each creature. Demon. Pretty self-explanatory. Takes five damage to kill it. It's kind of hard. You actually have to run it into a five power thing. The place where I see this becoming skill testing is if you're going against the Harbinger and it's out on the board already and you say have like four power creatures, like you're pretty safe. Like they can't just run it into your dude. If you have that five or six power creature in your hand and you're wanting to call that house that turn, like, I mean, you can't, you can almost just not play that card if your board position is such that you can't, you know, let it get the best of you. If you yeah. are playing with it, like having ways to get rid of it, having things like Obsidian Forge and Harbinger of Doom is so oh, good. So good. Um, Gleeful Mayhem's another great card. Uh, Draining Touch. Like there's just there's a lot of different ways within your own deck of getting rid of Harbinger, and just knowing how to kind of set that up and use it advantageously is a. I guess maybe it's not that skill testing. I don't know. I just really I like mean, the card. It, it, it definitely really, really can be. One of one of my favorite moves when you're when I'm playing against a Harbinger of Doom is just ignoring it. Like honestly, just like being like, okay, if you like you, because the weird the weird part is if they don't have a way out of the way to insta kill it in their other houses, then it can become this awkward uh, chain on them where it's like they're they're nervous about committing to the board because their own Harbinger is threatening to wipe their their board. And so a lot of times if like I'm in a situation, I like to put my opponent in a situation where I'm like, I don't really care about what's on the board. So I'm just going to ignore your Harbinger of Doom and just you have to you have to take a slow turn to wipe the to wipe the board. They have to either call dis again or like find some awkward way of getting rid of this two strength, three armor guy, which, like you said, can actually be difficult to do at times. Um so it's it's a it's a it's definitely a one that creates um, some interesting decisions, um, especially like if you're you know if you don't have that way to insta kill it like the draining touch or the gleeful mayhem, if you just have to like play it out, and if you have to like time it really, uh, time it really well so that again you can get the advantage off of it versus your opponent. Yep. And no, there's ways of, you know, getting around it, bouncing it, purging it, doing different ways so you do not hit that destroyed ability, lost in the woodsing it. I like know. to buzzle. I like to, if I, 
there are times where I've had Buzzle and Harbinger of Doom in a deck, and I like to, if I'm like suddenly like, oh, I don't want to Harbinger this, I just Buzzle, <laughs> Buzzle yep. purge my my Harbinger. Yep, now my board is safe. Hooray. Yeah, so I think that's it. That's going to be it for this episode. I think that was some good conversation. We still have some, yeah. we have more cards on the list, and maybe we didn't cover one that you wanted to hear us cover, so if we didn't, let us know. Also, we had a lot of fun doing the community questions. We're talking about maybe doing a segment where if people want to keep sending in questions. Maybe we do, what'd you call it? Was that the round table? Uh, a sigil of brotherhood. Sigil of brotherhood. Maybe we'll do a sigil of brotherhood um, for you know, just kind of a random, maybe in place of inspiration or something where we get a question from the community. So yeah, yeah let us, let us, let us know if you like that, if you liked that and you'd want it to be a recurring segment, hit us up on uh, the discord or the email and just let us know that you're interested in that. Yeah, yeah, and send your questions. If we get good questions, maybe we'll just do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> it's our show, dang it. Um, we decide. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me. I'm Dan is someone, D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E-1 on Twitter, on the Discord, on Twitch. I'm never on Twitch. Sorry, guys. Infant life. Um, Alex, where can they find you? I am the Nick of Slots, hashtag 6418 on Discord. Uh, you can find me at my blog, proclamation346e, uh, or the Nick of Slots at gmail.com. All right. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We really Thank appreciate you. all of you guys. Uh, sign up for Season 4 Reversed Adaptive. Not Reversal, but Reversed Adaptive. Games 1 and 2 are flip-flopping. Get into the Discord and sign up for that. Those are in the pins in the Sanctimonious League discussion page. And yeah, we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Archons of the Crucible. Worlds collide has many ways to end your foe's dreams. Do you possess the skill to wield these tools of destruction? Or are you destroyed by them yourself? Whichever camp you fall in, remember, forge those keys.